Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Stocks and Coffee. I'm Travis, your Stock Geek. Today is Wednesday, August 31st, 2022. You're probably asking, where have I been over the past few sessions? And unfortunately, that sickness last week hit me even harder than expected. I kind of lost my voice there for a few days. So I apologize for that, but today we're back in action. And I just want to recap some of the things that have been happening over the past few sessions. So obviously, last Friday... Fed Chair Jerome Powell came out with a very hawkish speech. He came out and surprised the entire market by being really aggressive in his comments during his eight or nine minute speech about how the Fed needs to tackle inflation, that it's willing to go the, the last mile, that it's willing to cause households and businesses pain, uh, and that it's willing to even have unemployment rise somewhat and financial conditions tighten pretty aggressively. So, that was a change from the tone that he had set during the July Fed meeting. We, of course, had had the Fed meeting minutes just a couple of weeks ago that came out where he was hedging his speech and saying, you know, well, we could keep going after inflation aggressively with rate hikes, or we might slow rate hikes down if we need to, depending on the data. But no, in the Jackson Hole speech last Friday, he really laid it on thick and basically said, listen, we're going to fight inflation no matter the cost. And the market took that as a sign the Fed's going to be very aggressive. In fact, the probabilities have moved back to 70% chance that the Fed will hike by 75 basis points once again at the September meeting here in a few weeks. And that is up from less than 30% chance of a 75 basis point hike just a couple of weeks ago. So the market is definitely pricing in a more aggressive Fed. The equities had sold off about 4% across the indices last Friday, ended the week down 4 or 5% overall in U.S. markets. Crypto was down... Other asset markets were down. Yields had spiked on the front end of the curve, and now the curve is highly inverted again. And now we're seeing the two-year yield as high as 3.5% with the 30-year yield, yeah, yield well below that level. And, uh, and so that curve inversion does suggest the bond market is pricing in a very aggressive Fed in the near term, and the Fed still having to eventually pause and maybe even start to reverse rates at some point on the longer dated timeline because the market expects you know that will help to impact the economy negatively. So the curve is inverted, suggesting possible recession. We've got the 30-year trading at about 3.25, but the two-year up as high as 3.46. Uh, that's another sign that the market now expecting the Fed to be very obstinate and really focus more on inflation than anything happening on the unemployment side or the economic side. So that's something that had concerned me, you know, over the summer. I've said before I remain cautious. Certainly the Fed shifting back into a really aggressive stance won't be that supportive for stocks broadly. But, you know, I will say there's still positives out there. Unemployment is still holding you know, at pretty low levels, we get a very key unemployment report in the U.S. on Friday, but we watch forward-looking indicators such as the weekly jobless claims and the JOLTS job openings number, which came out earlier this week, and we don't really see any signs yet that the overall employment market is weakening too dramatically. In fact, the job openings report suggests there's still way more job openings than can be filled by job seekers. So, that still is supportive overall of an economy, not you know just directly going into deep recession. Uh, personal income and spending data that came out last week also suggested that consumer spending still kind of hanging in there. Now, we know there's weakness in certain areas. We know the housing market continues to weaken. Last week, we saw new home sales declining again for the sixth or seventh month straight below expectations. Housing market definitely weakening overall, especially in certain geographic areas. 
And it's not even the seasonal low period yet. We will move into a seasonal low period for the housing market in, in winter. So we'll probably see some headlines about some steep decreases in prices and volumes uh, in the housing market as we go into winter. So be prepared for that. It doesn't mean necessarily that we're going to have a housing crash, but it does mean that you know we are seeing a cooling off of the, the crazy hot housing market that we got during the post-COVID period. Checking in on stocks this morning, we see stock futures are slightly positive. Yesterday was a pretty big down day, so we, we did see a continuation of the negative moves in stocks uh, to start the week, but maybe we start to get a little bit of a positive sentiment going here. Um, there are those that believe we are headed for new lows in stock markets given the posture of the Fed. I, I'm not sure exactly. Again, I just remain overall cautious. I think we could remain in a pretty choppy environment. I think the Fed can talk a bit, get big game, but if the recessionary environment does hit, they are going to be forced in 2023 to back off a little bit or at least get you know more, uh, I guess you could say dovish or whatever, basically start to raise rates at lower levels or even pause rates. So, you know, the Fed can talk a big game, but they can obviously swing what they're doing in a hurry, just like we saw them swinging to aggressive rate hikes earlier in the year. Um, they have not been particularly good at forecasting. <laughs> so um, so we'll see. You know, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to make new lows or not. Um, we saw corporate earnings hold up relatively well in Q2. We're going to have to see how Q3 and Q4 play out. Um, but overall, you know, the market isn't in risk on risk on mode anymore, given what we saw last week from the Fed. There's also this whole issue of the European energy crisis. That came to the forefront over the past week as electricity prices and gas prices in places like Germany spiked to uh, you know, a dollar per kilowatt hour, which would be $1,000 per megawatt hour at one point. Now, they have cooled off in the last two or three days or so, but these levels are at such alarming levels that they could bankrupt consumers and small businesses in certain areas of Europe uh, based on the price increases we could potentially see for electricity. So we are going to see probably demand come down significantly over the next few months and into winter. We'll see rationing. Um, but it is interesting to note that Germany has filled 85% of its gas supply for the winter ahead of schedule. So it's not all bad news. Um, it's certainly in the pricing markets a real concern. And the Europeans are going to have an emergency meeting on Friday to talk about changing the structure of the electricity markets, which do price on a marginal cost basis, meaning the, the the highest cost producers of electricity still are able to make a profit rather than electricity costs being weighted uh, across the curve to not only renewables, but also gas. So essentially what I'm trying to say is the highest cost electricity is typically what's used to price consumer electricity bills, not the weighted average cost among all production. So that's kind of a problem. And we'll see if the Europeans decide to change the structure of the market, but it's certainly causing a lot of concern. It could impact consumer and business spending significantly in Europe. We could see a recession. And at the same time, we see European central bankers talking about now mirroring the U.S. and becoming really aggressive with rate hikes. So I don't know how aggressive rate hikes fix a energy supply issue, but central bankers are just looking at the inflation problem as one entire inflation rate rather than components that need to be addressed in various ways. And they're saying we need to raise rates to cut off demand, to cut off you know, the, um, the demand side of the equation 
And I'm just not sure if that's the right policy. I think we could see central bankers making serious mistakes here across the globe as they aggressively hike rates into a slowing economy. So that is, again, something that makes me cautious overall in terms of taking risk. Um, but you know, maybe we'll see the consumer and the employment rates hang in there and we can get through this period without, you know, a lot of pain, but it's, it's just, it's, it's certainly concerning some of the things, especially on the policy front that are happening out there. So, um, be careful out there, obviously. Um, you know, other things that are impacting the market, of course, are going to be that unemployment report I mentioned that comes out on Friday this week. We do still have some retailers and software companies reporting this week. Retail's been pretty mixed. Software has been a bit stronger. We saw Snowflake last week up 20% after their earnings beat, uh, putting up fabulous growth numbers. The valuation on that stock is pretty insane, but nonetheless, it was enough to send the stock up last week on those results. Um, we saw Bed Bath Beyond and some of the meme stocks really ripping until late last week. Bed Bath Beyond has now had a couple of losing sessions and looks like it's down about 25% pre-market. They are going to raise capital potentially. They're raising high-cost debt capital, cutting headcount, closing more stores, and they have filed an equity shelf filing suggesting they could actually sell uh, 12 million sh 12 million shares of stock here in the open market in you know in the coming weeks and months. So that would be a concern, obviously, for the the meme stock traders. There, um, we see Snapchat cutting 20% of its workforce as well. So that's down about 7% pre-market. That is consistent with what we saw in Q2 earnings, where we saw uh, weakness in advertising uh, companies. And so I would say you know the areas of weakness that we continue to see are housing, advertising. And, you know, post-COVID, the, the COVID beneficiary is having that post-COVID hangover. So I would say that's another area. In fact, we see Chewy with a 11% pre-market down move here as they reported Q2 earnings. And they're seeing customers cut back in some discretionary areas. They are still growing. They grew sales 13% year-over-year in the quarter. Uh, but they did guide down for the year slightly below consensus estimates for revenue. So they are seeing revenue growth slow. Uh, so that's, again, another area of or pocket of weakness, I would say. Uh, we see PayPal on the flip side got an analyst upgrade. Looks like it's moving up a couple percentage points pre-market. A couple of pharma-related stocks getting some good news, like Sorrento Therapeutics. That one's up double digits as well pre-market. On the commodity side, we see crude pretty weak. So crude is also similar to the yield curve, reflecting concerns about demand destruction, about possible recession. Crude was down 5% yesterday. It's down 3% so far today to about $89 a barrel. We also see weakness in some other commodities, particularly metals like silver. We see some weakness. We, well, we've seen weakness in crypto, but uh, but Bitcoin is back above the 20K level currently. It's been kind of chopping around there in recent weeks and months. And uh, we also see ag commodities last week were actually bid. Um, they're a little bit weaker this week, but um, the stagflation possible scenario would be a bad one. So it is nice to see commodities moving down if the market is pricing recession. You don't want to see the market pricing recession and commodities up. You know, that would be a real problem. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, the crude weakness is impacting energy names in a negative way. I will say positive spots would be areas like uranium and nuclear stocks. Those have been actually bid up in the past week and doing pretty well. Some of the mining stocks like Cameco, NextGen Energy, Kazata Prom, the Sprott Uranium Trust, those have been doing pretty well on news that Japan is looking to keep more reactors or reopen some of the reactors they'd shut post-Fukushima. Post you know, nuclear could play a role in Europe as well in terms of getting back to baseload power generation that doesn't, um, that doesn't put Europe at the mercy of gas markets in Russia. 
you know, these things can take time, obviously, but the nuclear, I think the nuclear industry can play a pivotal role in helping to restore cheaper electricity prices globally, at least over some time frame. So it's nice to see those stocks doing well. You know, interestingly enough, we also saw some strength in cannabis stocks over the past week. We've seen the MSOS ETF starting to move up off its bottom. Uh, it could be another false start, but that's been an area of the market that's been very weak over the past year. In fact, that uh, ETF has more than halved in the past year, and many of those cannabis stocks have been crushed over down over 70 80%, many of them, even though you know we see more states decriminalizing cannabis, and there's been movements even at the federal level to help push the cannabis industry forward. Uh, but, you know, there's been some demand weakness in places like California, and then there's been just a lot of frustration over the lack of, f- of federal bills passing on the cannabis side. So that's that's been one driver in cannabis. But it's nice to see that perhaps maybe they're making a turn up. I do have some positions in cannabis like the MSOS ETF and a couple of the profitable multi-state operators. So those would be areas that obviously uh, I'm uh, rooting for, but, you know, I full disclosure, do have a position there. Um what else? So, you know, I think uh, the student loan forgiveness last week is an interesting topic we could probably get into. I don't really want to debate the politics of it, but as far as how it impacts demand and, and overall income, you know, I think uh, the, the total number that could be out there, I think 300 plus billion sounds like a lot, sounds like a pretty big stimulus, but it won't actually be a cash stimulus the way that the COVID stimulus came in. Because, you know, that loan forgiveness forgives debt that uh, wasn't even really being repaid over the last two years. And it's not putting fresh new cash in bank accounts. It is removing a liability for a number of borrowers, which could, you know, impact their budgets and consumer spending in a positive way. Um, But it's not like a direct stimulus payment to those those consumers. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see overall how it might impact, you know, overall consumer spending and... uh, and just the economy broadly, but I don't expect it to be as big of a near-term impact as what we saw with the COVID stimulus. So that's kind of how I'm looking at that from an economic perspective. What else uh, this week? You know, we'll have to see how uh, the other earnings reports come in. I think there's a few more this week, like Lululemon on Thursday. Uh, who else? I think there's a couple of software companies like PagerDuty, a few more retailers out there as well. A couple of software companies after the close today, like Mongo Data, uh, MongoDB, Okta, Viva, C3 AI, Sentinel One in the security side, Nutanix and Pure Storage. So it's pretty quiet overall on the earnings front, but there are still some stocks out there that could be moving on those things. Uh, well, we'll wrap it up there for now. Hopefully that's a good summary of what's been going on over the past few sessions while I've been out. I'm hoping to obviously be active again daily here and uh, health willing. (laughs) But until then, everyone have a great rest of your morning and day, and I will see you all soon. Cheers.